0: Well, hey, 6 p.m., great to see you. Uh, my name is Andrew. I am pastor of the service alongside Nick, and a huge welcome to you all, particularly welcome if you are new joining us tonight. Uh, we had 10 new people at 6 p.m. last week. How good is that? We love when new people join us, and you know, just the way God has grown us since we started as a service last year with about 30 or so people, and how God has been bringing new people into our midst who are encountering Jesus, it's so exciting. So a huge welcome to all of you. It is a big passage. It's a dense passage. So make sure you keep John chapter 5 open. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we're going to dig in to hear what God has to say to us. Let's pray. God, we need your help. We always need your help in all of our lives, and particularly now as you speak through your word. Help us to listen. As we gaze at the face of your Son, transform us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I have conversations with people who are skeptical about who Jesus is or have questions about Christianity, I find often the conversation can go down all kinds of rabbit holes. You, know, you can start talking about, could God make a burrito so hot that even he could not eat it? Questions like that. And sometimes I find it's helpful just to get to the heart of it, get to what really matters. And so I love to ask two questions. I love to ask two questions. The first question is, do you believe Jesus Existed now to that question, basically everyone says yes. Basically, everyone says yes. Even atheist historians today basically unanimously agree Jesus existed. The evidence is so clear. No, it's the second question that's really divisive, it's the second question that really matters. Actually, it's a question that every one of us in this room tonight needs to have an answer for. The question is, who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think Jesus is? Is he just an inspiring teacher? Is he just a great example? Or is he who he claims to be? Is he who he claims to be in our passage today? The one with all authority. The one who has authority over life and over judgment? That's the question we've all got to ask ourselves. C.S. Lewis, he had that famous line. He basically said, there's three options when it comes to Jesus. Either he is a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. He's either making it all up, or he sincerely believed it, but he was actually insane, or it's true. What do you think? Maybe you're here tonight, and you're not really sure what you think about Jesus My hope is as you read this passage, that's the kind of question you'll be answering. Do I believe Jesus is truly who he says he is? Well, in our passage, uh, a whole bunch of people are grappling with that question, who is this man? And it all starts with Jesus' visit to a pool called Bethesda. Jesus goes to this pool called Bethesda. And by the way, archaeologists have discovered this pool It's always helpful to remember that these are real places that we're reading about. They've discovered the pool. It matches basically the description here. It was a pool where sick people went to get well. And just imagine a world before modern medicine, before uh, physiotherapists and occupational therapists, and the desperation there, the hopelessness. They're there around the pool. Jesus sees a man. Seeks him out. He has been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. But it takes Jesus two seconds. It takes him two seconds. He says, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And the man walks. That's the compassion of Jesus. That's the mercy of Jesus that we were hearing about in our last series. in John, two weeks ago when we were looking at the woman of the world, the compassion and mercy of Jesus. But actually, this passage isn't about the miracle he does. That's not the point of why John's including it. No, here's the point. The point is the day he did this miracle, because he did it on the Sabbath. That's what the controversy was about. Front page of you know the, the Daily Mail or whatever the you know, newspaper would have been at the time, the clickbait article, Jesus healed a man and you wouldn't believe what day he did it on. That's the kind of clickbait that would have been because he did it on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day that you weren't meant to work. And so these religious leaders, they are furious. But actually, they're not furious that he healed the man. They're furious because he told the man to pick up a mat. Now, there was nothing in the Old Testament, nothing from God that said you could not carry a mat on the Sabbath. This was a rule, a law they had made up they made it up. That's what happens when you're religious. You become self-righteous, hypocritical. You care more about rules, religion, than joy of seeing someone healed, seeing someone saved. And so they're angry. They're annoyed. They're furious. And Jesus, he defends himself. These guys are planning to kill him, and he defends himself. What does he say? Three things he says about himself to defend himself, his authority. He says, firstly, Jesus has authority to do this because he is God. Jesus has authority because he is God. Have a look at verse 16. Verse 16, it says this, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work. To this very day, and I too am working. The Jews, they believed there was one person who could work on the Sabbath. It was God. God couldn't kick up his feet on the Sabbath one day a week. After all, he needed to keep running the world. He couldn't take a day off. But here's Jesus going, Well, my father works on the Sabbath, and so do I. He's claiming to be God, he's claiming to be equal with God. It's crazy. And the fact he calls God his father. I mean, you've got to get to the head of a Jew, a monotheistic culture. One God. Here is Jesus claiming to be God. Radical. And so now all of a sudden, they're not just angry because he told a guy to carry his mat on the Sabbath. They are furious because he's claiming to be God. And Jesus goes on. He goes on. Look at what he says. Verse 19. Verse 19, he says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Back in this time period, it was only natural that a son would end up in his dad's business. So he'd grow up watching his dad and what he did for work, his dad would show him a thing or two, and he'd start to copy, and eventually he'd enter his dad's line of work. My son Caleb is only 11 months, but he's clearly already copying me. I show him how to do a few things. He copies me. And that's what we have going on here. We have Jesus saying, my father is showing me what he does and always has showing me what he does. That's pretty crazy. And he says, I do what the Father does. In other words, he's saying, you want to see what God's doing? Look at me. You want to see God at work? Look at me. It's a huge claim. It's a huge claim. And the reason the Father shows the Son what he does is because he loves the Son. In other words, everything Jesus did, his miracles, even his dying on the cross, he did it because he loves us. But he also did it because the Father loves him. Now, that's mind-blowing. If that's hard to get your head around, that's okay. The big point is Jesus is claiming to be God. And so he says, verse 23, jump down to verse 23. He says, Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. If you want to honor God, you've got to honor Jesus. You can imagine how furious the religious leaders were when they heard this. So let me ask you, do you honor Jesus? Do you believe Jesus is who he is claiming to be in this passage? God, the one with all authority, the one equal with God. Do you believe it? He can't be just a religious teacher. He can't just be a nice example. Do you believe it? Have you bowed your knee? Have you given your life to him? Because that's what it means to honor him, to recognize his authority. Not just his authority over others, but his authority over you. Well, Jesus makes a second point. Continuing to defend himself, continuing to show that he is God, he makes a second point. He says he has authority to bring life. Authority to bring life. We hate death. Everyone hates death. It sometimes comes slowly. It sometimes comes unexpectedly. But it's always painful. It's always painful. We can try and avoid it and delay it, but we can't. And in a hundred years, unless Jesus comes back, every person in this room will be dead. Death is coming. And deep inside, we know it's wrong. We hate death. And that's because we know we were made for more. And Jesus comes and he promises, he offers life. He offers life. That's what he says. See verse 21? For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Now again, remember the Old Testament. It was always God who raised the dead. Always God who raised the dead. And here's Jesus saying, I'm raising the dead. God's entrusted me that job. It's again him claiming to be God. And look down at verse 26. He says, verse 26, For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son, me, to have life in myself. I said a few weeks ago, when we were looking at John chapter 1, I don't have life in myself. I don't have life in myself. I need to eat to keep myself alive, drink to keep myself alive, have coffee in the morning so I'm not a zombie. But Jesus has life in himself. And he gives life to everyone. Now, what's the life he's talking about? He's talking about life everlasting. On the day that we die or Jesus comes back, he's talking about the eternal life that he offers to everyone. You know, when Jesus said to that man by the pool, get up, that is a sneak preview of when he will say to you, get up on that last day when he will look at you and say, get up, rise to new life, take on the resurrected body that I've won for you. In the book, The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis, right at the end, there's Peter, Edmund and Lucy, and they've died. And it says this, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world, And all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. If you belong to Jesus, this life is not the final chapter. It's the introduction. When you enter into eternal life with him, every chapter of that eternal life will be better than the one before. Do you believe that? I hope it fills you with comfort. I hope it fills you with assurance. So many people don't know what's going to happen to them after they die. Christians do. Not because we're anyone impressive or anything we've done, because Jesus offers it. He offers it. It's not just life to come, it's life now. It's life now, isn't that good? It's life to the full. It's the life we have by having God's Holy Spirit inside of us, transforming us from the inside out. The life we have of having our sins forgiven, being in a relationship with God, it's life now, absolutely, and life to come. Hallelujah. Well, Jesus goes on. He said he has authority because he's God. He says he has authority because he can bring life. And then he says, he has authority to bring judgment. He has authority as the judge. I want you to look with me at the passage here, just so you can see that this is not me, but this is Jesus. He says, verse 22, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Now, this idea of Jesus judging people, of us one day being judged, every one of us, it, it, it's, it seems uncomfortable. Particularly because Jesus says that we might honour Jesus because he's a judge. Now, that seems a bit weird. I mean, we have open, open mic and people get up, as you saw before, and they, they thank God. They, they, they talk about things that they're thankful for about Jesus. happens all the time. But I've never heard anyone get up and say, I'm just so thankful that Jesus is a judge. It's not on our top five things we love about Jesus list. And yet, that's what Jesus says. Now, it's uncomfortable for us. And a lot of people say, you know, if the church wants to be relevant in 2020, we should get rid of the judgment stuff talked to someone before a service today, and they were so shocked. You're talking about judgment? Well, here's a few little thoughts about judgment, this idea that Jesus is a judge. Firstly, we've got to be aware of our cultural bias as Westerners. In the West, this idea of God being a judge is a little uncomfortable. But we've got to remember, in plenty of cultures around the world, the idea that Jesus is a judge is not uncomfortable at all. It's actually great news. Actually, for many cultures in the world, the idea that God would forgive and be merciful, that's uncomfortable. So we've got to be aware of our cultural biases. Second thought, I actually think deep down we want a God who is a judge. We want a God who is just. You sit on the TV and you see children being abused, you see murder, you see corruption. You hear about the horrors of Auschwitz. And deep down inside, we want a God who will put all wrongs to right, not a God who will forget and turn a blind eye. Third thought God is a judge not because he's got a short temper or needs anger management classes, God is a judge because he's holy. He's holy, he's perfect, he's pure. He's never sinned. He can't tolerate evil. He can't tolerate people offending him. If he were to just sweep it under the carpet, he would cease to be God. He'd cease to be perfect. No, no, because he's holy, because he's perfect, he must punish wrong against him. The punishment fits the crime because he's a holy, perfect God. The fourth thought thought on judgment. God is angry because he loves us. It's often said, well, how could God be loving and also be filled with wrath? How How could that be? Well, actually, the reason he's judging is because he loves us. Think about if you had a child or a best friend who you loved deeply and they left you. They abandon you. And you send them texts. You call them. You email them. You try everything to connect. They want nothing to do with you after all you've done for them. Not only that, but they they outwardly reject you. They offend you. They rebel. They discredit your name. And you love them and you're watching them and you're watching them make these decisions in life for their bad, ruining their lives. I think you're angry. Because you love them and you care for them. One writer, Tim Keller, he says, love is not the opposite of judgment, indifference is. See, if God, the opposite of judgment, the opposite, sorry, wrath is not the opposite of love, indifference is. The very fact that God cares is why he loves us and why he judges Last thought on judgment is this. Jesus' judgment is fair. Jesus' judgment is fair. You can see it in verse 30. He says, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just. That is, when Jesus judges, none of us are going to be able to sit there and go, hey, Jesus, I think you made the wrong call there. I think you kind of stuffed up that judgment thing. I would have done it a bit of a different way. None of us are going to be able to do that. Because his judgment is just. So judgment, Jesus being a judge, is not that he's vindictive or evil. No, what it is is that we spend our whole lives saying to God, God, my will be done. My will be done. I don't want you. My will be done. I don't want a relationship. My will be done. And So God says, okay, your will be done. But the message of the gospel is that we do not need to fear the judgment. We do not need to fear the judgment. Why? Because the judge, Jesus, was judged in your place. The judge was judged in your place. Took your punishment on his shoulders so that you could be forgiven, so that you could walk free. We're heading into bushfire season at the moment. You remember back to the horrible bushfires in summer. It was like a long time ago because we've had floods and we've had a global pandemic since then, 2020. But the bushfires are terrible, and we are preparing for them right now. And the key way we prepare, one of the key ways, is backburning. Backburning, you, under controlled circumstances, burn a section of bush. And that means when the fire comes, it can't burn there where it's already been burnt. Well, friends, when the fire of God's judgment comes, if you belong to Jesus and he's been judged in your place, You can't be judged again. You can't be judged twice. The fire cannot burn where it's already been burnt. Jesus has paid the punishment and so you will not be punished because he, the judge, has been judged for you. He loves you so much, he went through hell for you. And that's what Jesus says, verse 24. He says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Aren't they amazing verse, verses? We have already, if we trust Jesus, crossed from death to life. It's already happened. And so the message we preach as a church is God's love and forgiveness in Jesus. That's the problem I have with the fire and brimstone preachers that you, you know, see on TV sometimes if you wake up early enough. Is not that they're talking about judgment. Jesus talks about judgment. I actually think we need to talk about judgment so we understand how much God loves us. But that's not our main message. What do we preach? Why did Jesus come? to rescue us from judgment, to show us his love, to forgive us, to make us his children, to show us his mercy. That's what we proclaim. That's what we're on about. That's the message we're holding out to our world, to our friends, to our family. Come to him. Receive life. Cross from death to life. So let me ask you, are you facing the judgment of Jesus tonight? Or have you crossed from death to life? Because Jesus goes on and he says, there's going to be a day when everyone's going to be raised. That's what he says in verse 28. Everyone's going to be raised. Donald Trump is going to be raised. Joe Biden is going to be raised. William Shakespeare is going to be raised. You are going to be raised. I'm everybody raised. But Jesus says, some will be raised to judgment. But for those that have trusted Jesus, who have heard his words, believed him, received him, they will enter into eternal life. And this life that they've experienced now will just be the first chapter, just the introduction. Every chapter of that eternal life will be better than the last. Amen. And so, will you come to him? Honour him. Honour Jesus. He is God. He has authority to bring you life, to save you from judgment. Receive him. Bow your knee to him. Come to him and be saved. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you you just confront us sometimes and yet you comfort us as well. We think about this passage and, Father, we pray you would help us to listen. We thank you so much that you sent your son to save us from judgment, for your mercy, for your grace, for your kindness. We thank you that we can come to you, trust you, and move from death to life. We pray for those of our friends, our family, those here tonight, those in our neighborhood. Lord, may they know this saving message of your grace and your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.